0: This is the Care to Change podcast, and we want to welcome you. In this episode, April continues our month of mental health awareness by discussing the topic of anxiety with our counselor, Jean Crane. Thanks for being a part of this conversation that we hope offers you practical solutions for positive change. Welcome back, everyone. This
1: is April Bordeaux. As always, I'm so glad that you've chosen to spend This time with us today, we're in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. We had a great conversation last week with Teresa, identifying what mental health is and how to know if you're suffering. So if you're just joining us because you want to hear about anxiety, but you want to learn more about mental health in general, I would encourage you to check out last week's uh, episode We have with us a special guest, Jean Crane. Jean, thanks for coming back, always. Yes, thanks for having me. So Jean's sort of our resident expert as it relates to anxiety, does uh, anxiety conversations and um, presentations and workshops pretty regularly, uh, or mental health workshops regularly. So thank you for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Today we're talking about anxiety. Next week we'll talk about depression, and then we'll have uh, an episode devoted to bipolar, and then our last one of the month is uh, when to see a therapist instead of talking to a friend. And so we've got a lot of great topics this month, but we wanted to start with anxiety because it's so prevalent. Uh, so many people tell us that they struggle with anxiety. And <clears throat> we know that anxiety is something that every single human experiences at some point in their life. The question is, what is the impact of that anxiety and how often and et cetera. So uh, and the other reason is because we have so many people to call us or come in and they tell us about having these panic attacks. They seem to be all too common nowadays. So today we're devoting the entire episode to anxiety. So why don't we just kick off, Jean, just start us by giving us a, a definition. Really, what what is anxiety? How do you know when it's not the, quote, normal kind of anxiety, that sort of thing?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me come on and talk about this area. I'm actually really passionate about working with people who struggle with anxiety on a regular basis. Um, For me as a therapist, it's really rewarding because um, when somebody comes in and starts to talk to me about it and we come up with some solutions and work together and they learn more about it, I feel like they can really make progress. So yeah, anxiety is um, in general just worry, nervousness, unease. A lot of the time it shows up in physical symptoms that we have. So sometimes people, um, I've heard this very prevalent, people go to the doctor and they say, oh, my stomach hurts all the time. And so they run a whole bunch of medical tests and the doctor's like, we can't really find anything medically, it might be anxiety. Um, So some people feel it in their stomach, that's where I feel it if I'm starting to, you know, experience anxiety more, that knotted up feeling or nausea, um, your heart beats faster feeling like it's hard to breathe, like your chest feels heavy. Some people tell me they feel kind of numb, like they can can't move their body, um, just shaky, or maybe like they're gonna pass out. So sometimes it shows up physically and then it also shows up cognitively. And what I mean by that is just it shows up in our thoughts. So a lot of times people who are struggling with anxiety on a regular basis do what we call what ifing. And that just means that they're asking themselves <clears throat> the question, what if? So take, for instance, a student who's struggling with test anxiety. Um, It starts with this. They're maybe walking down the hall on the way to their biology test. And they're like, what if I don't remember the stuff I studied last night? And then like, what if I do really badly on this test? And then... What if I fail this class? And then what if I end up failing out of school? And then what if I end up in a van down by the river? And so all of that what ifing is causing their body to then start feeling those physical symptoms of actually being homeless. Their body doesn't really know the difference. It feels like it's in that state of emergency because of the what if. And it usually just links together into a really bad case scenario. So um, again, in our thinking, the what ifs, they can loop. So you could just like over and over and over hear that same what if scenario or also just racing thoughts where it's just hard to slow down your thinking and um, just to get feel like you can get any kind of logic. So those are some of the symptoms that people experience who are struggling with
1: anxiety. So how do you know when it is normal, you know, the quote normal anxiety versus, wow, OK, this is more than than just, you know, you mentioned symptoms. Sure. Um, but how do you know when it's just, it's
2: too much? Sure, that's a a good question. Um, I would say the line of demarcation is if it is impairing your life. So I am a busy mom of four, and I experience anxiety just because of environmental things like, you know, my kids are involved in activities and then I'll get a text in the middle of the day and that activity will change and all of a sudden I need to find someone to pick them up and it just makes me feel anxious for a minute. But it's not really impairing into my life. It's not causing me to not be able to function well or to take care of my kids or to take care of myself or to sleep or some of those main things. So if you are experiencing those symptoms that we talked about and they're coming regularly and it's impairing your life and you notice it like it's keeping you from doing everyday things, keeping you from being um, present in your relationships, keeping you from being able to focus and have attention. Um, I think that impairment is kind of the main the main thing.
1: And, and we also know that there are different types of anxiety. So will you talk a little bit about the different kinds of anxiety? Yep. So generalized
2: anxiety disorder is probably the most common, and that's just that kind of pervasive feeling of uneasiness and anxiousness. Um, So it's generalizing the fact that it's just there almost all the time. So you wake up with it, it's there during the day, and you go to sleep with it. Um, Just something that you feel almost all the time. Um, then there's some subcategories. One category is obsessive compulsive disorder, and that um, usually comes in the form of an obsession. So, the first part of it, you have a thinking pattern that causes a compulsion, it causes a behavior that you have to do in order to feel better, to feel released. And so, you might see that in a health concern. Um, sometimes I see that in clients who wash their hands or use hand sanitizer. Um, obviously, we all do that, some, but if they're using it like a hundred times a day. They just in their head, they think I'm going to get sick if I don't wash my hands. And sometimes they'll have to wash their hands like two and three times in one setting. And then they just keep washing their hands all day. And so when I talked earlier about impairment, their hands might be cracked and bleeding or red um, because of the fact that they have to do that so often. And it's also impairing from a time standpoint, just because they're having to do that so much. Also, PTSD is another category, um, post traumatic stress disorder. And this one is probably the most intense type of anxiety, and this comes from someone who's been through trauma. And so that's why post-traumatic stress, that they are regularly reliving the trauma that they experience, whatever that might be. So a combat veteran who comes home from serving in the military um, comes back and they hear a loud sound, they smell a burning smell, and it takes them back to the combat zone when they were losing um, their fellow uh, colleagues in the army. And so they're experiencing that a lot of times they'll get nightmares, they'll have flashbacks and um, even just that sense of total numbness that they can't feel anything because of it. And PTSD can come in all sorts of forms. Um, people who've been through adverse childhood experiences, something that we talk a lot about um, these days in the mental health world, but trauma from growing up, whether sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, um, if a you know parent was a substance abuser or domestic violence in the home, all kinds of things that that child went through and then as they They get older. They haven't processed through it. um, So they're getting those same kind of symptoms of nightmares, flashbacks, just a, a difficulty in functioning. Another category is phobias. And so it's funny when you think about phobias, I think that the number one phobia is public speaking, when people just feel really nervous about getting up in front of people. Um, But all kinds of phobias, there can be phobias of spiders or snakes or flying on an airplane. So it's just where you have like one specifically focused fear that's really hard to get over.
1: So we know that everyone experiences anxiety. Uh, We know that with the right treatment and even sometimes medication, I know you'll talk about it, um, that anxiety is something that you, that people can live a successful and productive yes. life with. Um, we also know that there are some ways to prevent some forms of anxiety, right? So um, can you, before we talk about what to do if uh, you're experiencing anxiety, let's back up just a little bit and say, you know, maybe someone's like, I experience it, but not so much that it's interfering with my life every day, but I definitely feel it, mm-hmm. its presence, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the stomach aches or, you know, some of what you described earlier, sure. the physical symptoms, like it's not interfering, but it's definitely more than I want to have. So if someone's in that sort of category saying, what do I do about that? So talk a little bit about what are some strategies?
2: Sure. Yeah, um, I accidentally actually recently read a book called Spiritual Practices for the Brain by Ann Kurtz-Kernian. It was actually a book that you recommended, April, and um, I just really enjoyed every single chapter of that book, and the basic premise of the book is you know, finding emotional and mental well-being in general, but this definitely has to do with anxiety, and so I'm really glad we're going to be talking about this because I want to give some specific preventative strategies that people can use in their lives that can help them. Um, And whether you struggle with impairing anxiety and you have a um, diagnosis of anxiety, or whether you are just a busy person that has a lot going on and you experience it, sometimes all of these things are good either way. So um, these are just some general practices. So I'll just get started. Um, The first one is meditation. And um, this isn't something, so I grew up in a pastor's home and I guess I grew up I'm 46 years old, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And really when we talked about doing our devotions or a quiet time, it was always like read the Bible and then pray and maybe journal. And those are like the things that you do when you do a quiet time. And I think those are wonderful things. And, I, and those were like the things that I built as a habit when I was growing up. But meditation was just something I was like, I don't really know what that is. And it sounds kind of weird. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad, even though the scripture says for us to meditate on it. Um, to me, I didn't know that that kind of meant the same thing. So um, I really encourage this as a regular practice. I started doing it this year. It's kind of one of the new things that I started doing where I set my phone for 10 minutes. I turn it upside down. Um, so I'm not looking at it the whole time. And I meditate on a sacred word. Or a name of God. And um, the benefits to meditation are amazing. And so for me, even just doing it for the short period of time in January and part of February, I've just noticed um, just amazing calming, centering for me. So when I'm dwelling on that sacred word, like this morning, I was dwelling on peace because I knew that we would be talking about anxiety. And I thought, well, that'd be a good one for me to just kind of meditate on. And it just, it, it connects you with God. It just really does when you think, man, he is the God of peace and he is in charge and he has everything in control and I don't have to manage everything. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit uses that time of quiet of just thinking about peace and connecting that with God to speak words into me that he wants me to hear and help me for that day. So for me, I'm a morning person, so I do it in the morning, but The benefits are amazing. When you read in secular like social science research about meditation, I just it blows me away. The cardiovascular benefits. They they did a study on heart patients, and the only difference between two categories of a thousand patients each was meditation for ten minutes a day. And at the end of the year, the the people who did meditation actually had thirty-five percent better outcomes in their in their heart health. Isn't that amazing? Amazing, yeah. So I recommend that as just a really great practice of centering and quieting yourself and really connecting with God. And I know that it's been something um, cool for me to add to my time of uh, with the Lord. And then mindfulness. This is one that we hear a lot about too. And so, what is that? And that is just really. Working on being present. So, if you think about it, when you're struggling with anxiety, usually you're what ifing, right? We talked about this. You're thinking about the future. What are the scary and terrible things that might happen in the future? When you are mindful or you are present in the moment, then your brain isn't thinking about all of those things. It's just being right where you are. And you can be mindful in pretty much anything that you do, you can be mindful in eating meals. And this actually increases your enjoyment of that meal because you're savoring the different tastes. Um, So mindfulness in eating. You can even be mindful when you're doing the dishes, Um, noticing the warm water, noticing the scent of the soap that you're using. Um, Instead of just grumbling and complaining in your head because you're frustrated or letting your brain just wander into the things that we might wander into, which sometimes have to do with um, the topic of anxiety. So being mindful in that. Um, definitely, if you are a person who likes to get outside and walk around, you can be mindful while you're there, where you're thinking about and seeing all the beauty all around you. And again, a way to connect with the Lord in nature um, by just being mindful and present and recognizing all the beautiful things that He created. So I love that as a, um, it's a, it's great In theory and in practice, it's hard to remember to do. So it might be something you have to be intentional about starting a habit, but definitely a way to help clear your mind and that looping and those racing thoughts and some of that what ifing clears out when you're working on just noticing the senses around you. So if you're mindful when you eat, you're thinking about what are the smells right now? What are the tastes right now? What am I hearing? And especially I would say there's nothing more important than being mindful with the people around you that you're with. So if you are out with your family for a meal. And sometimes, you know, we'll look around the restaurant and we see like everybody's on their own separate cell phones, which is really sad. And I'm not saying that hasn't happened to us either. But if you if everybody puts their phone down and they're mindful of the people in front of them and they're, you know, seeing the joy on their kids' faces or enjoying to hear from their spouse, whatever the conversation that they're talking about and noticing the senses, it makes it more pleasurable and you are building connection with which is another category we'll talk about in a minute. And there's one more great benefit that comes from being in the presence of other people and that's called co-regulation. And that is that science actually tells us that our heart rates go down, our breathing slows down and we experience peace and calm when we're in the presence of somebody else who's safe and who we care for.
1: I think it's really interesting, just these first two that you're mentioning, um, meditation and mindfulness how they really correlate with what the scripture says when it says take captive every thought yes. because uh, meditation requires taking captive of those thoughts that just run, 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 yes. especially, you know, um, we joke about our Enneagram number, but both of us are in that yes. productive category. So our minds keep going and going. And so it might take more effort on, uh, you know, <laughs> f- for the threes. Yes. Um, but you know, just that taking captive and then the mindfulness, just being present in the moment, sometimes again, yes. requires us to take captive yep. the thoughts that want to run just so that we can be here in the moment yes. right now. So I love that both of these, you know, they're in uh, research. We know yep. that um, research supports it, but it's also clear in Scripture, too.
2: Honestly, it's something that I really love about being a counselor who is also a Christian and who um, believes in a biblical worldview, because what we find is that social science does the research and tells us these things. These things are good for you. And when I hear those things and I think, man, God told us to do this over 2000 years Mm -hmm. ago. He wrote it down for us to do. And so whenever we are, um, you know, encouraging someone in something like these two things, we can feel really good as Christians, too, that this is exactly what God would be wanting for them as well. So I love that. And just even that scripture, be still and know that I am God. And that's just kind of that meditation and that mindfulness of just being still and just reminds us that God's got it. So for me, when it comes to anxiety, those are two really great preventative strategies that you can use. We talked a little bit about this one, but I think that connection is really important. And I'm sure if you listen to our podcast regularly or talk to anybody about mental health, you're going to be hearing connection all of the time, because again, God created us to be in community with other people. He, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit and Jesus have been in community before time began and we are made in their image. And so we are made to be with people. And like, I said before co-regulating happens that that experience physically where we feel relaxed and calmer when we are in the presence of other people who are safe Um, so but I want to say something else this one's a great one that came out of this book and that is did you know that smiling it's actually good for our brains it generates dopamine endorphins and serotonin which those are all great chemicals you know we talk about dopamine a lot in a negative context but the smiling if you just smile at somebody else it actually really works and you feel better and of course when you smile at somebody I don't know if you've ever had this experience but I have I'll be in Target or something and just go 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 with my usual busyness and somebody just stops and smiles and it's like my heart just goes, oh, that felt really nice. And so you're helping the other person and you're helping yourself, which is really awesome.
1: Maybe that's the reason why they have that laughing yoga. Yes. (laughs) Laughing (laughs) llama yoga.
2: Yes. I love it. Another thing, again, these seem kind of like, well, how does this relate to anxiety? But Um, Another thing that's really helpful in our mental and emotional well-being is when we um, are compassionate and we are serving and caring for other people around us. So not only getting together for meals um, to, you know, connect with people that we love, but also serving and caring for and being compassionate and kind towards other people. And again, being compassionate does some things in our brain. It increases oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical. It lowers Inflammation, which we all want, um, it, it reduces anxiety and distress, and it activates the reward circuitry in our heads. So, we're not just doing something good when we help other people, we're feeling good when we do. Um, again, I'm thinking of a time in my life when um, I remember we were kind of in a stressful situation. My husband um, was, we weren't sure if he was going to be able to keep his job, and we have four kids, so I was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do financially? And I remember. Um, we were going to visit this family that we um, bring groceries to on a regular basis. And they're just our good friends. We love them so much. We've known them for a super long time. It's just to have um, a lower socioeconomic thing going on. So they just need extra help. So we bring groceries. And I remember like I packed up these groceries and I'm like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I don't even know if we're going to have money, you know, to buy groceries for our own family. And so why am I giving it away right now? But it was like already on the schedule and I was doing it, I guess, out of obligation in that moment moment. And I went down to their house, opened up the trunk. We brought the groceries in. We spent an hour with them. And I left in my heart was so much lighter. I felt so much better. And I felt kind of like this release that like I trust the Lord in the giving of this that he's going to provide for us and I didn't really know how and he did provide but I'm just saying like it's a good feeling when we give or when we um, reach out in compassion Um, so it's something that we can always do it literally every day there's probably something that you could do that could be compassionate even as small as letting somebody in in front of you to turn out of the school drop off line when you're in a (laughs) real big hurry (laughs) I also wanted to mention this. So I don't know how many of you guys have watched Ted Lasso. I, I know that there's some parts to it that are not so great as far as um, some of the content. But this guy, it's a Apple TV series if you haven't heard of it. And this guy, he just baffles me. Um, I don't know that he's a Christian or anything like that, but... One thing that he said that, it w- that really stuck out to me was he said, you know, people should be more curious instead of judgmental curious. And I just think that's such a good statement, too, when it comes to reducing anxiety. If we are judgmental in our heads, if we are constantly, you know, criticizing other people, whether even internally or verbally outside, that isn't helping our anxiety level. What if we were more curious? What if we just wanted to get to know people more? What if we asked more questions? And this guy, um, he's a humble guy and he gives grace to other people in in his life who don't deserve it. And I just love that thought of being curious. And I think that's something that we can give towards other people when it comes to connecting. Just being more curious is a really good one. All right. I promise I have a few more and I will um, be done. One thing is self-compassion. I think that um, in our culture, in Western culture, we tend to be very critical of ourselves. There's this expectation that we have of almost perfection, which is impossible. So anybody, who is a perfectionist usually does struggle with some levels of anxiety because they're never ever reaching the potential of what they think they need to be doing so any kind of perfectionism I just want to say to you if that's something you struggle with um what if you were a little more self-compassionate towards yourself and recognize that it's okay to be human and one of the techniques that this book gave that I thought was really good was in a time when maybe, you know, you mess something up or you were disappointed with yourself about something that you literally put your hand on your heart, crush your other hand over and just breathe and just say, it's okay to be human. It's okay. Um, my intentions were good. And you kind of really show yourself love in that moment. And I think like physically doing that is great. And you know, in our own minds and head, if we do that to ourselves and saying, it's okay, it's okay that I'm human. It's okay that I sometimes don't do something perfectly and kind of give myself a little bit more grace or give myself the same kindness that I might give to somebody else. So that's kind of a cognitive skill. A couple more. We all know this one, so um, please don't kill me for saying it, but limiting technology is always going to be helpful for us as we are trying to reduce anxiety in our lives. We know that there's a direct correlation between depression and anxiety and uh, the time that we spend, especially in social media, but in technology in general. And so just being careful, being aware, knowing um, the time that you're spending, not just kind of getting sucked into it, especially when it comes to social media or scrolling news sites, Um, even binging Netflix. That isn't a terrible thing. And um, we all have to do it sometimes. I think is a way to distract, but it's not necessarily something that's helping us. It's just sort of a distraction technique. So. The, the less technology and the more we can get outside and get in nature or be with actual human beings in our lives are good. They found that getting outside in nature, which I know um, this is a beautiful time of year to do that because I love spring. It's, you know, everything's budding. You can smell the honeysuckle trees. There's so many good things. But if you can get outside in nature at least 120 minutes per week Um, so that's you know four times that you walk for 30 minutes or jog or whatever you do that increases good health and psychological well-being and you will notice a difference I used to lead an exercise group and before we would work out I would have everybody rate themselves for the day 1 to 10 where are you at then we go work out and then we come back in and everybody would rate themselves again and honestly to the T I think every single time at least there was a a higher number coming back even if it's just one notch up because they felt the benefit of getting outside and exercising Um, so laughing playing all of those things they increase endorphins and help us um, anytime you can laugh you're also helping yourself breathe in a deeper kind of way so that's a benefit um, for anxiety as well and the last one I just want to say is um spiritually you know connecting with God when I don't I know that for me I've really noticed that when I just stop and I take a breath and I pray no matter what situation I'm in if I just remind myself of the presence of God with me right then and there and the fact that I don't have to be in control and that he is and that he is for me it really just takes a load off in that very second I already feel the peace of God washing over me when I remember that and so prayer is powerful too in those moments when you know stress is rising to just lift that up to the Lord along with breathing to kind of reduce our heart rate and help us to feel that oxygen throughout our body so um Definitely connecting with God can be a huge benefit for reduction in anxiety.
1: It's so interesting in all of these, and I might have missed some, but meditation, mindfulness, connection, smiling, um, compassionately serving others, curiosity, uh, self-compassion, limiting tech, being outside, uh, laughing, playing, connecting with God. These are all the things we're not doing when we feel anxious, right? So it makes sense. It would be we're not doing any of these things when we feel anxious, but usually if we're steady doing these things, we wouldn't feel the kind of anxiety that we often feel. I want to talk just for a minute. I know we're, we're, we're going Mm -hmm. long, but I think it's important because it's such a um, widespread topic and issue today is to really talk about the physical aspects, because all of these um, fit into sort of mind- body connection and we know to get the best um results and and this I I started this by saying you know if you're if you're experiencing it but it's not overtaking you like you said these are great tools even if it's uh, interfering with day-to-day life but I want to talk about if it is interfering right and you're doing these things and you're still feeling anxiety you've you've you're doing all of these regularly you're really working to control your thoughts and be out in nature and manage what's happening in in the mind but just anxiety is still present Mm -hmm. uh and interfering i want to talk about the physical what's happening physically and what someone can do um all of these things are good because they do reduce anxiety but there is this element of right um Mm -hmm. We know there's a genetic yep. backstory. We know that trauma has yes. something to do with it. You know, so there are so many things that could cause yes. anxiety. That even if you're doing all these things, someone might yes. say, "Gosh, I'm doing so many of these." This, which any of these, if we do them all, it could be a full time job, right? But <laughs> right. so it's not like, "Hey, do every one of these every day." It's like just pick <laughs> one thing yep. that you're gonna use. You know, um, it's not to give you more anxiety about doing all these yes. things but let's talk for just a minute about the physical aspect Mm -hmm. because what we don't want to do is have listeners say, well, I'm doing all this and it's still not working. Is there something really wrong?
2: Yes, I definitely agree. And I'm glad you're bringing that up. I think it's important to know that genetically, some people are just predispositioned that the chemicals in their brain are different than those who don't struggle with anxiety. There's nothing wrong with you if you um, struggle with anxiety. In fact, I really love the scripture. It says something like, give your anxious thoughts to me. And I love that one because it's like, God isn't saying like, You know, you are never allowed to be anxious, but it's instead like you're human. So give your anxious thoughts to me. So um, when it comes to somebody who um, has struggled with anxiety or OCD or any of these things that we've talked about, and it's kind of a pervasive pattern, and it's impairing. I think is absolutely crucial to talk with your doctor about the potential for medication, because um, it can help restore the chemical balance that you need. And research shows us that medication combined with therapy. So you know, if you came in and you worked with a therapist who was helping you to understand the you know connection between your thinking, your behaviors, all of that, and a lot of CBT, we call it cognitive behavioral therapy combined with medication can be really really beneficial for somebody, it is the most beneficial thing that you can do when it comes to anxiety. And I'll tell you this too, because I work a lot with people who've been through trauma and I've noticed that um, trauma is one of those things sometimes that people say, I'm doing everything I know to do and I'm still regularly struggling with anxiety. And that tells me, I think it's really important to go and see a professional who can help you process through trauma in some of the evidence-based ways that we now are aware of that are really helpful and that's been a huge blessing in my life as a therapist the past decade is um, learning some new techniques that we didn't even know about when I was in grad school 20 years ago um, that are effective and I've seen it help people who've struggled with trauma um, from their background or adverse childhood experiences that we've said so please do not hesitate to um, to talk with your doctor to find a therapist to help you work through these things there's nothing wrong with you it isn't your fault you didn't choose this. Um, So please don't blame yourself. Be compassionate towards yourself if you need that extra help. And we would love to have you come in. Um, I would love to see you myself. I I find it a great privilege to be able
1: to work with people
2: who are in that place.
1: You know, and just for those who are listening who have a loved one, maybe who struggles with anxiety, but maybe you don't. And this is the reason why you're listening. um, It's always best and advisable to say, do these things with me. Right. Instead of you should do these things. Yes. Like, hi, would you like to walk with me? Like, let's walk together, you know, smile at them while you're talking. Mm -hmm. So to model this for the person who is struggling and to invite them into that connection versus telling them this is what you should do. Um, Because a lot of people who struggle with anxiety already have a big list of things that they're not doing well or should be doing again, ruminating on on some of those. And so Um, If you're listening because you have a loved one who's struggling, invite them in through connection um, to join you in some of these things. Because you're
2: going to experience a benefit too, whether or not you have anxiety.
1: Absolutely. So do you have any resources? I know you mentioned the book, Spiritual Practices for the Brain. Yes.
2: Yes. I also, I love the Bible study, be anxious for nothing by Max Lucado. It's a great one. And then there are some really great apps out there. If, you know, you're, you just want to be able to see your breathing. There's apps like Headspace and Calm that I think can be really helpful. Again, we're using technology, but you're using it to help you. So I think, um, finding an app, you know, just check it out, see what helps.
1: Also, I would encourage the listeners to look on our website. We have a list of resources related to anxiety there as well that we've been building. So, well, Jean, this is a lot. Thank you so much again for sharing. Yes. Um, if you are part of a group and, you know, a mom's group, a church group, and you're saying, wow, this is relevant information for my whole group. And you would like a presentation on this or a workshop or even some just real practical someone to come and speak, Um, please contact us. Uh, We're definitely available. Jean's available. Others are as well. But that way we can really get the information out because there's no need to walk around feeling anxious and to miss out on the joy of everyday life because of anxiety. So you are worth the investment that it takes to get to a place of living in um, mindful peace, right? or calm. So please reach out to us. Um, Don't struggle alone. That's the reason why we're here. That's why we do this podcast. We are here for you. Check out our website. Uh, Next week, again, uh, we're going to be having a a discussion on depression. So maybe anxiety isn't your thing. But depression is so uh, join us for that conversation as well. Uh, Thank you again for joining us to listen to these practical solutions for positive change. Until
0: I see you again. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Care to Change podcast, where we offer you practical solutions for positive change. We invite you to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and YouTube to hear more about our conversation topics. Check out the show notes below to see resources mentioned in this episode. If you have any questions or would like additional information, please reach out to us on our care line at 317 317- 979 or email us at help at care2change.org. We thank you again and hope you will join us for more of our podcast conversations.